Hey Access Ninjas, this is Jonathan here, and in today's episode we're going to interview a blind developer named Austin Serafin. This interview went so well, we decided to break it into two episodes. So in this first episode, we're going to introduce you to Austin, and he's going to tell you a little bit about what growing up blind and using technology was like, and tell you a little bit about how he develops his own iPhone apps. In the second episode, we're going to discuss different things that developers should keep in mind when developing apps and have some great discussion about blind technology. We'll have episode two available for you next week. Welcome to the Access Ninja Podcast, episode four. Interview with Austin Serafin, accessibility consultant and programmer. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is Jonathan Campbell. And this is Rachel Mangario. We've got a very special episode for you today. We have a special guest, Austin Serafin, who is a accessibility consultant and a programmer and developer himself. Welcome to the show, Austin. Thanks. It's good to be here. Well, if you wouldn't mind uh, doing a short introduction for our listeners here about uh, what you do and uh, kind of the journey you've gone through. Uh, yeah, my name is Austin Serafin, A-U-S-T-I-N, and my last name is S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N. That's also my website, austinserafin.com. It's also my Twitter, so I encourage you to follow me and check out my blog. And uh, I've been blind since birth. I have been programming all my life. I do accessibility consulting. I've recently gotten heavily into iOS and app developing, and I do a lot of public speaking as well. I've been to a lot of cool conferences talking about accessibility and letting developers know why it's so important. And uh, I've also been getting into cultural accessibility and some work with uh, museums and things like that as well. So I don't think anybody's going to be surprised that our first guest is uh, a bit of an Apple person. Uh, <laughs> We're all using Macs, yeah. <laughs> so how did you first you know get into the apple products because they haven't always been as accessible as they are today and what was what's been your journey through your computer use uh over the years yeah it's interesting so i actually started out on an apple i started on an apple IIe back when i was seven in 1984 or so and it still works i still have the machine it's still in my closet i couldn't throw it away and that itself didn't have accessibility built in, but there was an argument back then uh, between Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak over whether or not the Apple should have expansion slots. And fortunately, Woz won that argument that it should. And so it actually had slots that you could plug cards into. I don't even think people do that anymore. <laughs> it's, oh. Yeah, oh, like, the, like the new Mac Pro doesn't have any slots at all. Everything's really? external now for you oh, to plug things goodness. in. Yeah. Oh, the world is changing. So yeah, back in the day, we would plug things into our computers, and a company out of California called Street Electronics, uh, there are a couple companies, but uh, they made a, a card called the Echo, or the Echo 2, the one I had. And that's what it was. You would plug it in, and there was a little speaker that would go on it. I don't know how much it cost, but we got it, and... My mom and another friend of the family put it in, and uh, it had a disc that you'd run with a screen reader called Text Talker, and 
For people who don't know, that's how a blind person uses a computer, by using a screen reader. And so this was the first computer with that, really, you know, and of course Apple was the first, uh, one of the first home computers. And so it was the first one that the blind could really use, and it was amazing. And uh, just as soon as happened, I just took to it immediately. And I started to learn to program on it. I didn't know really any commands. I just knew, like, catalog and run to... <laughs> We had a catalog and to run the files. And then I tried typing list, and it started listing out the program. And uh, I just realized I could just start looking at programs. And that's what I did. And I just started teaching myself to program in basic. And that was it. I mean, as soon as I realized that I could make the computer do whatever I wanted, it was just like, uh -huh. yeah, this is really cool. It's like a magic box, and you can make it do anything. So that was really awesome. I used the Apple II for a long time. The 2GS came out. I remember that. That had more uh, advanced uh, graphics and sound, which I believe is what GS stood for. And uh, it had the new three and a half inch floppies, which were, you know, like state of the art. We were just amazed. Like, you can get twice as much. And it has a hard cover. Like, and, now yeah. we, <laughs> and now we can have like eight gigs oh. thumb drives. <laughs> oh, now it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, and then after that, all through the 90s, well, and then, you know, after the GS, the PC was becoming dominant. Um, you know, at around that same time, Apple was starting to fall off. It was the, you know, the end of the Steve Jobs era. And um, so the PC started to become dominant, and so I started switching to that. I got, I think it was the first laptop that was made for the blind. It was called a Keynote, and I think Keynote still exists in some form. But it wasn't the Keynote of today. It was an old Toshiba T1000 laptop, and... It felt heavy to me back then. I was like 10 or so, and it probably was pretty heavy. Now I'm curious, what screen reader did you use then? I thought it was awesome. It just had this built-in screen reader thing on yeah. it. And uh, it had DOS. It had MS-DOS built into it. And uh, But that was a start. And then I got my first PC in the 90s, in 1990, and used MS-DOS and just had a great time through the 90s because it was a good time. So much stuff was just all text-based, so for the most part, you were using the same stuff everyone else was using. That was the fun. Yeah, it really was. It was a fun time. It really was. It was a good time. And I got really into bulletin board systems. Um, I ran one all through the 90s. And uh, I think, even now, I think it was probably the most fun I've had with a computer. Running a BBS was awesome. IRCs. Yay. Oh, well, IRCs came after that, yes. IRCs came at kind of the tail end of the BBS scene. Yeah. But, you know, all this stuff, you know, we were doing all the stuff in the 90s, what we're calling social networking now. We didn't have a name for it back then. We just called it going online. But it's what we were doing. We were posting messages and sending files and, you know, exchanging, having uh, networked messages and all that. We did it all in the 90s before the net became popular. And the BBS scene is, uh, is worth remembering. So, yeah, then the BBS scene started dying. The Internet's you know, took over everything. And that's when IRC became popular, Internet Relay Chat. And, uh, yeah, then I got on the net, and then I think we kind of entered this dark age of accessibility, coincidentally, when Windows became dominant. I don't know if that's why, but it could be, because, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's coincidence, I'm just saying. When Windows became dominant, you know, 97, 98, that's about when things started to suck. And I used Windows for as long as I could. And then 
What did you use with Windows? Um, Were you in JAWS? Yeah. Yeah, it was JAWS. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you come back to the Mac? NVDA wasn't quite there yet. And then I had a Windows freak out and used Linux. And I still use Linux for my server stuff. And I still have a Linux machine right here. And that uses SpeakUp. And then in 2010, I got an iPhone. And that was totally awesome. And that is what really changed things for me. And then that's what inspired me to get a Mac. I did that later in 2010. So tell us, tell us about a little bit that, like how was that transformative, like super important turn on your life with the iPhone? Um, because it was, it was totally new. Being able to use a touchscreen with speech, you know, a screen reader designed for a touchscreen, it was revolutionary. It is revolutionary. They're still the leaders by far. And touchscreen access. And yeah, that's why I'm so excited about it because it's just so new. You can tap around the screen. You can get spatial relationships of items. Um, you know, a sighted person before, if they'd say, oh, you know, tap the button in the top left corner, a blind person would say, that doesn't mean anything to me. That's not how I use a computer. And now it does. So they got that two-dimensional aspect, and they still have the one-dimensional aspect, too, with the swiping. And they just, it, they you know, it's that. incredible because they still tell you that when you're on a web and you call support like GoDaddy, they go like, oh, click that green button on the top right. <laughs> and they're like, uh, excuse me? Yeah. Yeah. And you wrote a, a rather extensive article on your blog, I think. Yeah, one of your most popular posts, the My First Week with the iPhone. It's, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I was just writing. My blog wasn't really that popular then, and I was just writing a fun article about it. And... Um, yeah, a few months later, I kind of forgot about the article. And a few months later, uh, let's see, how did it happen? Yeah, I was interviewed for a documentary called Get Lamp, which is a documentary about text adventures. And by the way, the same uh, author of that, Jason Scott, did a great documentary about the BBS scene, going back to that. So if you're interested, I would recommend that as well. But Get Lamp is about the old text adventure games. And they're still around. Interactive fiction, it's now called. And um, these games are great because they present everything in text. They describe your environment in text, and you tell it what you want to do. And it's better than virtual reality. It's done right. But uh, so I was in that talking about that and the intersection between code and literature and all that cool stuff. And a guy saw me in it and saw my article and retweeted it on Twitter. And it just went nuts. It just went totally viral. It got totally out of my control. I had to upgrade my server to handle the traffic. And it ended up in the Atlantic. And it just went totally nuts. And that's, that's really what started that whole thing. And it was just, uh, that's how it is, you know? That's why you should just keep writing stuff and just keep putting stuff out there. You know? Well, you are an absolutely awesome writer, and so does Jonathan. I don't think my stuff would ever go viral. <laughs> How about, um, tell us a little bit about that blog. Tell us that story, because I never get tired to hear, like, how you got your phone. Yeah, it is cool, because the thing that I like to try to communicate to people is that the iPhone makes so many things, so many other assistive devices obsolete for the blind. I got my iPhone, and... Uh, 
the blind used to getting nothing from companies. So, you know, we kind of made fun of the iPhone at first. You know, when it first came out, at least uh, my friends and I did. Uh, you may have as well. You know, we were just like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, how can a blind person use a touchscreen? Apple's just doing this to get PR. It's, this can't work. It seems like a device that it's got pretty almost no physical buttons and is just a giant piece of glass. It seems like the least friendly design for a blind user. Yes, exactly. That's it. Exactly. And that's what we all said. And then a friend of mine actually got one and she just started going nuts about it. And I was just like, really? They're that cool? And she just kept going on like, yeah, it really is. It's the next big thing. You have to check it out. And so I said, okay. And I read the iPhone manual and I think I'm probably one of the only humans that has actually read the iPhone manual, but I did. Yeah, I actually did. So I went into the AT&T store with my mom having a really good idea of what to actually expect. And as a result, I could pick up the phone and I could use it immediately. I checked the weather. The stocks app renders stock charts. And that was the feature that showed me their attention to detail. Uh, you know, something little like that, that now for the first time I could actually read a stock chart. Uh, which is a necessary thing if you're into that kind of thing. So that showed me. I mean, that sold me right there. I was like, okay, sold. These guys aren't messing around. Like, this is the real deal. This really is awesome. And I brought it up to the front, and my mom asked if I could get a text message on it. And the guy said, I don't know. I don't think so. And I said, I think I can. And she sent it, and it came right through, and it said, hi, Austin. And everyone felt moved, even the guy at the AT&T store. And the point I try to make, too, is that when people go to these stores, um, the people will often, they might know that the accessibility exists, but they often won't know anything really about it. They'll just know, like, how to turn it on. But uh, so, so don't, uh, don't worry if they say something's impossible. Yeah, it might be possible. The Apple stores are getting better. The Apple stores are starting to hire some uh, on-call accessibility people, which is cool. So anyway, um, I got the phone. And I took it home, and I was really excited because now for the first time I could run apps. Everyone was talking about apps. This was June of 2010. And everyone was talking about apps, and no one ever told me which apps I could run. They were just talking about apps. So I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about all the different devices uh, that are made for the blind, and they're often pretty expensive and you know, not well made. They don't have the budget that Apple has. And, uh, you know, not very well supported. And so I was looking, I was thinking about these devices, and I thought of a color identifier, which is a small probe that you can point at an object, and it'll tell you the object's color. And so I typed color identifier into the app store, and it came up, color ID, it cost $2. The device itself cost $200, which is basically the cost of an iPhone, if it's subsidized. And... Um, so, you know, that's the difference right there. For just a couple bucks, I picked up this app. And I was totally excited. I was like, this really is awesome. This is the next big thing. And I ran the app, and it just started saying black, black, black. And I, my heart really kind of sunk. And it was just like, oh, once again, harsh reality. And then I thought about it. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. It's to like 2 o'clock in the morning because I can't sleep because I have this new toy. I don't have any lights on because I don't need to. It's pitch black, and yeah, I sighted people need light to see color. And I turned on the light, and out came all the colors. And it really was awesome. And that's when I realized that, yeah, the iPhone really is the next big thing for the blind. And it's true. It really, I, it's still true. 
Then, as long as Tim Cook is in there, it will continue to be true. Yeah, yeah, it looks that way. <laughs> yeah, I've been really pleasantly uh, surprised at the level of commitment that I think Tim has. I mean, like, he's, there's some just great quotes about about why it's important and a priority, so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he said that they're concerned with more than just their ROI and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, development or coding that you do. I know you do yeah. some work in, in Ruby, is that correct? Yeah, in Ruby Motion. So that was my next thought, of course. My first thought was the iPhone is awesome and amazing and the next big thing. My next thought was, of course, I have to start to learn to program this thing, being a programmer. And I thought it would be easy. I thought, you know, I'm pretty good at picking up languages. But it really wasn't because at the time, the only language was Objective-C. Apple just introduced Swift. But uh, at the time, the only thing you could use really was Objective-C. And you had to use Xcode. And you still do. And Xcode is their IDE, or Integrated Development Environment. And I've always preferred the command line. I'd much rather type some commands into a terminal than muck around with a bunch of menus and buttons and things. So, yeah, Xcode's a little got a, it's got a lot of pieces to it, and yeah. I feel like uh, there's a lot of, especially with UI design. Uh, that's very, very mouse-heavy work that yeah. they want you to do. That's really interesting. That's, I think you're spot on about that. That's uh, an interesting uh, way to put it. And I think you're right. And so I've always preferred the command line. And that's why I say to I say, you know, if you guys think Xcode's confusing, try closing your eyes and using it with voiceover. <laughs> I know. I've tried. <laughs> that's why I'm just a designer and not a programmer. <laughs> Well, maybe you should try Ruby Motion. You might have better luck in it. Maybe. Ruby's a nice language. So Ruby Motion, uh, I just made a random comment on Twitter because I was hitting this brick wall and I was like, I can't use Xcode. I'm not doing well in Objective-C. Interface Builder is totally inaccessible. That's how most people lay out their views. So I had to learn to build them programmatically, which is possible. But in the Xcode world, like you said, it's very mouse heavy. Yeah, you can do it, but... Yeah, it's it's really designed, and all the shortcuts, all the updates, all the mm -hmm. things they try to make yeah. easier in Xcode are tied to the mouse. Yeah, absolutely right. So for the blind, it's it's really just a clunky interface, and just not the way to go. So I made a random comment on Twitter one day that I wished I could write apps in Ruby, and someone asked, "Have you heard about Ruby Motion?" And I said, "No." And Ruby Motion is Ruby for writing apps. Um, iOS, macOS, and coming soon, Android as well. Ruby is a programming language. It's a high-level language. It's a really friendly, awesome language that a lot of people like. You may have heard of Ruby on Rails. That's a web framework. It's a framework for building websites in Ruby. Um, Ruby is a purely object-oriented language. It has a very clean syntax, a very consistent syntax. And it's a syntax that I think reads well with speech, I mean. It's a syntax that for us, for me at least, just flows very naturally. It doesn't have a lot of unnecessary brackets and braces and parens and semicolons and all this other stuff. It's just very clean. Okay, I need, I need to say something funny about that. 
So the other day okay. I was at WordCamp, you know, with WordPress, and I was okay, I was yeah. doing some coding with you know one of the guys there in PHP, and then yeah. like you know you have a lot of question marks, and I I didn't yes. realize that I had my my punctuation turned off. So it was funny because it would say something like, you know, had the name of the tag and it will ask like as a question, like header, you know, or something like that. Oh, yeah. It, oh, that is weird. Like, What's wrong? And then I was like, why is my semicolons not showing up? So then like I had to change the punctuation and then I could read the code. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to use all punctuation when coding. I, yeah, that's so I'm I'm glad to hear that Ruby is cleaner yeah yeah i'll have to show you some ruby code sometime you'll have to check it out awesome it's a date because uh, yeah i think it's yeah yeah absolutely and um and the cool thing too about ruby motion is um well ruby uh and all, all languages have ways of bundling up code because programmers are lazy and we don't want to reuse the same stuff and if someone can solve a problem and share that with others that's good so ruby's way of doing it is called gems and there are a lot of gems for ruby motion that help abstract away a lot of the longer iOS, more complicated stuff from Objective-C and make it more Ruby-like. So there's a lot of really awesome work being done to really try to make it easier and, and higher level and more Ruby. But you can use all the standard Objective-C stuff. It's just sending the same messages. It's still using uh, the same build tools. It's still using LVM and all that stuff. Uh, so you're just you're still sending those messages, and it's fully App Store compliant. Ruby itself is an interpreted language, but Ruby Motion is compiled, so uh, it's not a bridge or anything like that, and uh, it really rocks. So the thing that happened for me is I got into it, and I realized that for me as a blind developer, there were still some hurdles I had to clear. And when I first asked you about Ruby Motion. There was a concern that was brought up, and that's that the iOS simulator isn't very accessible with voiceover uh, either. So when you're programming an app, you don't have to run it on your device, which can take a little time to deploy. You can run it right in the simulator. So in Ruby Motion, what's cool is you have uh, what's called the REPL, which is the VDVAL print loop. Um, in standard Ruby, you've got IRB, the interactive Ruby. Um, and in Ruby Motion, when, uh, when you run the RIPL, you get that interactive prompt, and it runs the iOS simulator, so you can interact with the app that's running on the simulator in Ruby. So this is really cool. So I took advantage of that, and I wrote my own text console. I started writing a gem called Motion Accessibility, and I wrote some wrappers around the uh, Apple Accessibility APIs. And then I wrote this text console, and this is really cool, and I took advantage of, uh, of Ruby Motion and this ability to interact with the running application uh, with Ruby code. So you can see the different views. You can navigate down. You can interact with the different items. You know, if there's like a text field or a button or something like that, you can touch it and enter in values and interact with that app. So even if you can't use the simulator, you can now use my text console. So I think that's really cool. And then the most recent thing I've done that I'm really proud of in Motion Accessibility 3.0 is automated iOS accessibility testing. And I beat Apple on this one, so that's why I'm proud of it. So you can actually test to see if a view is accessible. So for instance, a button, unlabeled buttons are a big problem in apps, probably the biggest problem. So if a button's unlabeled and you run this test, it'll tell you exactly that you have to set the accessibility label and that you have to use the set title for state method, or that you can use that set title for state on a button. It tells the developer exactly what they have to do. And the cool thing too is that you can put it into your specs. Ruby is big on specs or unit tests. 
uh, big on testing your code, actually writing tests. Um, so uh, the advantage of a test in general is that you won't break anything, hopefully. But if you change something that changes something else, since a computer program has lots of complex interactions, you don't want to break anything. And the accessibility tests add that feature. You won't break accessibility. The only thing worse than an app that's not accessible is an app where they break the accessibility. You update it, and suddenly you can't use it. And you'll often know this happens because on the change log, it'll say, totally redesigned user interface, or something like that. And the <laughs> yes. blind people all go, oh, what have they broken now? What have they done? And it's usually, unfortunately, the case. So if you're a RubyMotion developer and uh, you're using my accessibility testing, hopefully when you do break accessibility, you'll know because your specs will start failing. So if we do have listeners that are uh, RubyMotion developers, where they where can they find out more about this uh, accessibility tool? It's um, just it's called Motion Accessibility. You can find it on GitHub, um, and it's on Ruby Gems as well. You can just install it with you know Gem install with Motion Accessibility or with Bundler, just the standard ways you would get a gem. Easy to get. It's all free. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, for those of you listening, if you enjoyed this episode or you have any feedback in general, let us know at feedback at access.ninja. That's feedback at access.ninja for show notes and links to the things we talked about. You can find all those on the website access.ninja. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>